and we are live welcome everybody to another episode of strong tea i'm katie i'm vicky and we are joined today by the lovely kate hello nice to meet you nice to meet you too i'm not going to steal vicky's thunder i will let her do the introductions in a moment but if you haven't joined us on the strong tea podcast um before we are a podcast that talks about the taboo topics in life. We talk about things that maybe people stick their head in the sand over, things that we all need to get a little bit more educated on, and things that people are afraid to ask questions over. So we're here to ask the questions. That's exciting. But before we do ask any questions, we need to know the most important question. So I'm probably not the most important question. It's pretty important. What are you drinking? Kate, what have you got in your cup today? Um, I've got Tesco decaf. <laughs> oh, other brands are available. Are available. <laughs> Actually, it might be Lidl decaf. I'm not sure. Oh, mix it oh. up. And does it like? I've got a bit of a thing about decaf tea because I like it, but I find it's not as strong. Um, I think I've been drinking decaf for so long now um, that I'm just kind of used to it. If I have normal tea, it sends me a little bit crazy. Oh. <laughs> Vicky's like that with coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I can't drink coffee either, but. <laughs> There is nothing wrong with a bit of loopiness that's, that's been caffeine fueled. That is true. And speaking of which, what are you drinking today, Vicky? Not coffee, so I'm I'm not there yet. <laughs> um, malted biscuit Yorkshire tea. You like me, it's an old and bit of good. It's it's one of my go tos. It's one of my favourites. I've stepped outside the box today. I've gone for something new. Go on. I've gone for a bird and blend. I've gone for a blueberry and peach tea. Oh. Yeah, Ooh. I know. Look at your faces. You're like, oh, gosh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's got apple pieces, hibiscus, rose hip, fries, freeze dried blueberries, freeze dried peach, orange peel. And it Ooh. tastes amazing. Sounds a bit I sexy, always think that. those ones sound nicer than they actually are. That's just my opinion. I, I'm always slightly disappointed by fruit teas. Well, yeah, I totally tend to agree with you, but I think it depends on the brand because some of them you get and you you make it in the cup and you're like, oh, that smells good. Yeah, I can't wait to drink that. And you drink it and you're like, meh, that's crap. Mm. This <laughs> <laughs> this actually isn't. And as long as you stew it for the right amount of time, about four minutes, mm. okay. it's really, really nice. nice. Looks nice, smells nice, tastes nice. So do you take the tea bag out? I didn't used to but with the bird and blend ones they get overly stewed if you leave them in for too long so only a maximum of five um, minutes so interesting yeah. tea connoisseur interesting. over here yeah yeah carry well, on be- yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> i was all in that um yes we will we will continue with the episode which is titled solo mum by choice as Kate said, we are joined by Kate Draper today, and we are so pleased to have this wonderful human on today's episode. I am <laughs> proud to say that I went to university with Kate, and we also went traveling together afterwards. Um, so I have the privilege of not only knowing and experiencing how awesome she is, but also that she has an incredible strength and independence and a drive and she's she's just made her own journey, one that I know will be inspiring to others. And she's inspiring. She's cracking up because she's she, she's humble as well. Um, now, we know this will be an episode where Kate's experiences will break preconceptions and it's going to provide a lot of learning. It's going to be empowering. And basically, I just can't wait for you to hear from her. So without further ado, Kate, 
tell us your story. Like <laughs> a, this is your, like this is your life intro, kind of wasn't it? It's your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Kate. Um, and yeah, I think most people I know would describe me as being fairly independent and kind of like, not necessarily driven, but when I know what I want, I know how to get there. Um, and so I, after going travelling with Vicky, um, I did various things with my life and I also went travelling quite a lot and worked overseas and was having a great time throughout my late 20s and 30s and was quite happily single living in Costa Rica and living in Spain, living in New Zealand um, and having a great time. And then when I got to about 33, 34, I thought I'd quite like a family. Um, came back home to the UK thinking that would be a good place to have a family, being near my own family and friends and that kind of thing. And might be easier to meet somebody to have a family with in the UK um, rather than overseas, where it's for various reasons, could be a bit more complicated. Um, and didn't meet anybody and didn't really want to meet anybody. So decided that I would um, look into having a family on my own and I considered adoption and um, looked at that route but quite quickly decided that I actually wanted to, to be to have my own baby to kind of bear my own baby and be pregnant and um, and have a, a child that was kind of genetically connected to me um, and so I looked into how I might go around doing that and um, came across a wonderful Facebook group um, called Solo Mothers by Choice or Solo, I think it's Solo Mothers by Choice at the time. Um, and there was about, I don't know, just under a hundred people on there who were either thinking similar things or had gone through um, that, that process of becoming a, a, a mother without a partner. And I kind of was quite inspired by these people and thought, oh, well, I'm not the only one doing this. There are there are other people in the world, you know, in the country, uh, you know, going through this as well. And I kind of, kind of that sat there for a little bit. And I thought, well, I'll go and get my fertility chest tested because, you know, it's worth just having a, having a check. So I went to a, um, an open evening at a, a fertility clinic um, that was local to me. And they kind of gave you, general information what the process would you know what the various processes might be um and it was quite a strange situation because although it was like an open evening there was me there and one other couple and <laughs> it felt like there was a bit of like and who's she who were there with but um but you know no nobody said anything to me or there was no no kind of judgment or anything at the clinic they and I think you know when I kind of explained that I was kind of wanting to be doing it on my own they definitely spoke to me like it, it wasn't something that was new to them um, and then they spoke to me about um, how you could go about choosing kind of a sperm donor and that kind of thing but they said the first thing you need to do really is to get your your fertility checked and you know and see before we can make any decisions on like how you might go about it in terms of different um, you know different methods um, you need to do that so I went along to the clinic and, you know, I was sitting there with all these kind of couples in the waiting room who were all kind of looking quite tense. And I was thinking, oh, this is all right, because they're all here because they've got fertility issues. I'm just here because I need a, you know, I need a sperm donor, basically. Um, and I went and had all my tests done. 
And then when I got the test results back, my fertility wasn't very good. <laughs> they kind of basically, it was within the normal range, but the normal range was vast and I was right at the bottom of the normal range. So they kind of test your hormone levels and check your ovarian reserve. And my ovarian reserve was quite low, which would have meant if I was trying to have a baby with a partner, probably wouldn't have impacted my ability to get pregnant. But if you're looking to do it with IVF or IUI, which are the, the two main ways of doing it, it would have been more tricky. Um, so anyway, so when I went back and had my kind of review, the, the clinician kind of said we'd recommend IVF because of your age and also sperm is expensive. So um, you're more likely to get more than one embryo with one round of um uh, so if you do IUI you need like a new vial of sperm every time and and sperm's over a thousand pounds for a vial so um they said if you do uh IVF you might get say three or four embryos and then you can um you can have them returned to you you know put in your womb and if you are successful you're you can you've I you know you that's great you're successful and you've got two kind of in the freezer that could be siblings or if you're not successful we can just do a frozen transfer so it's kind of like a less in a way less invasive kind of way of doing it and it can work out cheaper and because of my that's what anyway that's what they the clinicians suggested would be the best way forward um yeah so I did that and I went through the joys of injecting yourself and going through the stress of all the hormone treatments and, um, you know, having, you know, lots of progesterone and things in you, um, which is not the most pleasant thing in the world. Um, and then after my first round of IVF, there were no viable embryos. So I was um, a bit broken after that um, because it was just, I, it just completely wasn't what I expected. Um, and yeah and that was that was really quite challenging and I had time off work following that because I had a bit of a breakdown <laughs> um and so I took a bit of time off work and looked after myself a bit and let all the hormones get out of my system and um went and saw my sister and she was lovely <laughs> and then I um went back and had my review point appointment and you know they basically said well we can do it again I paid for three packages like because they said there was a, like you could pay for three and it would work out cheaper so they said you know you've got two more sessions to go we can't guarantee it's going to be any better next time but we can try um we can change your protocol slightly to increase your to increase the amount of hormones we put into you um and they also said you if unless you've got anything with the, the sperm donor that you kind of had, unless you've got a particular connection, would recommend switching out to a different sperm donor because it probably wasn't the sperm, but if it was, then, you know, why not Why not try another? You know, you've got nothing to lose. Um, and they also suggested that I did um, ICSI, which is where they actually um, put the sperm into the egg um, and to, to kind of create your embryos rather than letting them swim in <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm not I'm not an embryologist I don't really know what the technical <laughs> term is um so so yeah so kind of give the sperm a helping hand um because um yeah because my eggs were a bit old apparently um <laughs> did they say that 
no no but um they what did they say they said something like um they said old older eggs sometimes um they're a bit tough around the edges oh, God. <laughs> i've never heard anything like so relatable in my life <laughs> yeah <laughs> so rude <laughs> well you know what i think it it may be but like I feel like they're trying to explain it to you in terms that you understand and yeah. that's what I understood you know and therefore they're like if we do ICSI we're breaking the we're, we're making sure that the sperm gets in and that's a step that's like a step that we can do for you mm. um so I was like yep here's an extra 850 pounds for you to do that yep let's go because this is all very expensive um I think now the NHS is does provide um support for some sing for single women um to go do it via the nhs um i probably wouldn't have qualified for that anyway but i paid to do it all privately um and i was fortunate enough to be in a position to be able to do that um anyway where did i got to yeah so i went and i did another round um uh, i got three embryos this time which was like woohoo that was amazing had a fresh transfer and they were like yes this is a great embryo it's a 5AA which is like the best embryo you can possibly get and so they put that back into me and I was like yay I'm gonna have a baby and then I didn't get pregnant um so oh. um but I had two more to go so I went back a few months later um and I did a transfer without hormones this time because you don't you can have a um, like what they call a natural frozen embryo transfer so they just cycle time it to fit in with your um your menstrual cycle um and kind of shove your embryo in at the same time you would be ovulating so you're like tricking your body to thinking that you've mm -hmm. you kind of you've created this embryo at that moment um but before then, I'd kind of thought, you know what, I'm going to go back and I like the whole way through this. I've been like I'd given up alcohol for like two years. I, I mean, which for me, Vicky will know that was like a big thing. Um, yeah, big. <laughs> so, like, I, didn't drink, I gave up caffeine. So that's where the decaf tea comes from, because like I didn't I, like I didn't have caffeine. I was eating really healthily. I was doing exercise and, um, you know, I was like a bit of a like a super like I'm going to do everything I can possibly do to make my body, you know, the, the best kind of host for this baby and then I decided you know what I'm gonna just live my normal life because I might be doing this for several more years I'm gonna try and be a bit more like you know still be healthy still take my vitamins and you know do that but you know I went on holiday um with my other sister I had a couple of beers on holiday um you know and I and I just kind of relaxed a little bit more and after that holiday I came back and I went straight in and did my next um my my frozen embryo transfer and was really fortunate but um I got pregnant with that one and I had my lovely little boy um Yay. the pregnancy the first bit of the pregnancy was a bit up and down I had kind of bleeding and you know a couple of visits to the emergency EPO, whatever they call it, the, the clinic, you know, so I had a few extra scans and that kind of thing, but ultimately he was fine and yeah, and he's now too. Wow. That's amazing. That's an incredible journey. Really? I mean, it, it's, um, um, we'll dive in, we will dive in, we will do a deep dive on that, but <laughs> firstly, thank you for sharing it because that's, I mean, it sounds like it was a journey full of heartache, uh, tension, it was just, yeah, it, it and obviously, you're not reliving it, but I'm sure the questions that we ask may kind of bring up a few things as well. I think, yeah, I think kind of like now I've got my little boy. Um, mm. He's called George, by the way. I don't know. I'm not referring to his name. Um, <laughs> who, um, he, 
I think it's kind of feels like a thing that happened and was quite some time ago, although it was yeah. fairly recent, you know, recent past really, but kind of, I mean, you've got children and you know that like, as soon as you have a child that like, just it, nothing stops, <laughs> like, you know, so yeah. in terms of like time to reflect and I don't know, I've always been open with people about it. So I've spoken about it quite a lot. So it doesn't really feel like a traumatizing like thing. Mm -hmm talking about it but um and I'm quite happy to share my experience with others um in case it might help I suppose brilliant I mean obviously this was a huge huge sorry Katie I over talked to you then sorry I didn't wait um, it's my it's my bad, it's my bad. <laughs> you carry on I guess firstly you've gone out of the sphere of heteronormity so that kind of going it alone Mm -hmm. how were the reactions from people when you mentioned that a you were using a donor and b that you were going at it solo um i generally positive i think a lot of people probably weren't that surprised because of the kind of person that i am in that you know at some point i said to my parents i'm gonna go and work overseas and they were like oh okay and you know or I'm going to change career or, you know, I'm going to do this, I can do that. And, and I, so I think, I don't think for people that know me, it would have, it would have been like a massive shock. And mm. I think people generally were kind of really quite supportive. Um, I think some people maybe were concerned, I think probably would be like, if I got a negative response, it was like, Oh God, how are you going to cope? Like not how, no one said anything like that, but like, Oh, are you, are you sure that's going to be really difficult? Um, and lots of people said, that, I tell you what, <laughs> kind of annoyed me a little bit. People said, oh, you're brave. And I thought, I'm not brave. I'm just having a family. Like, like what? I felt like the option, the other option was worse. Like, it, it didn't really feel like it was something that I'm like, I don't know. It was just, to me, it's just like, this is my solution to what, to get what I want. It didn't feel like a brave decision. It didn't feel like, you know, I just felt like I was just going to have to deal with the difficulties as kind of any parent does, really. And until you're a parent, you never know what it's going to be like. So I kind of thought, well, I know it's going to be hard, but I don't know how hard it is, how hard it's going to be. But like in the same way that I think anyone who's about to have a child feels like that. Yeah. I'm interested to know, because this is part of our Parenthood series, we've spoken to um someone who did the surrogacy journey and mm. um they went through um fabulous fabulous gents uh, from two dads uk and they went through the surrogacy journey and they talked about their experiences through fertility treatment mm. and how it totally wasn't geared up to anyone other than heteronormative couples you obviously said the people on that mm. open evening were very helpful but as your journey went through did you feel that you were supported every step of the way during um the the fertility side of things or was it sort of I don't know was it looked at upon or you know you're doing this alone and that's quite an unusual thing and we don't normally deal with that a lot um I don't know I the, the clinic that I did it through is um is linked to the NHS so although I paid and did it privately it was like it was an NHS clinic so I don't know if that makes a difference if you if you pay to do it through a private clinic that perhaps 
you get a different kind of like demographic maybe that that go that way um i generally found the clinic staff to be really supportive actually and quite a lot of them would be like you know especially the like the nurses who were like perhaps a bit more chatty and a bit more informal compared to like the consultants would be like oh wow that's amazing you know like they were really positive about it um and i suppose there was a few challenges in that you know like when you leave after having egg collection you're supposed to have somebody with you and um and i guess maybe there was the assumption that you might have a partner but like you'd have to be like right okay so now i've got to arrange that but you know but i don't i don't think i had anything negative from from the clinic that that i worked at and i don't think like sometimes i felt like i had to preempt conversation by saying oh i'm doing this on my own you know because i just felt that easier than letting there be the opportunity for somebody to say oh and your partner or and your husband like um so yeah so I've and in fact it was only about two weeks ago that I was in a situation where somebody said something something and your husband and it's that's the first time I've had to say oh no I'm not actually married I'm a solo parent um but like he's now like to over two and that's the first time that anybody has made an assumption that there was a partner or a parent or a father figure there so I think yeah I mean on on the whole I've had a really I've been I think maybe I've been lucky um and I also live somewhere that's like I live in Cambridge which is known to be quite like a liberal mm. kind of maybe left-wing kind of fairly multicultural kind of place so I, I think you know that that probably all all helps maybe if I'd done this in Dorset where my parents live I might have come across some slightly different um uh views and opinions mm. maybe would been, i don't know it would have been interesting to kind of follow up that because you obviously you said about you know you're a solo mum but is there that assumption then oh solo mum not by choice do you see what i mean it's it's kind of would people even consider that you've done this by choice on your own yeah i think people i think people are aware because the the woman who i mean it was a baby group that i was at a couple of weeks ago a toddler group and she said oh you know your your husband and i said oh no i'm solo i and i i'm fair i just tell people straight away if there's a mm-hmm. if there's any kind of misconception so i just to kind of preempt it i said oh you know i um i used a sperm donor to have george and she said oh yes i know another lady who's done that you know like so i think you know um as i say i think i'm quite lucky in that i live in an area where there is you know lots of different families who have children in different ways like you know we went to a gymnastics class when he's you know a few months ago and there's a little girl there who's got two dads and you know and we know quite a lot of other solo mums um through like a network that I've joined through a Facebook group and now a WhatsApp group so I think yeah it's it's not because of because of the way that I preempt things and because I where I live I think I haven't really come across much negativity at all really Mm. Uh, you mentioned at the start of this episode that you would hope that um, your experience will help others now Mm. I have to ask this question because I'm just fascinated by the whole thing how do you select a sperm (laughs) (laughs) how do you select select sperm um well there's different ways that you can do it um you can be unofficial and you can find like a match on various kind of Facebook website groups um there are personally that wouldn't have been that wasn't even on my um like uh what do you call it on my like agenda at all radar yeah thank you um because 
that I mean it can be quite complicated because if you do it in the unofficial way the 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 donor has can have parental well, has parental rights so you might start off going oh yes I'm going to be a donor and then when the child's born they might say actually I want shared custody of this child and I didn't want to co-parent um I wanted I didn't want that complication and I didn't think that would be fair on my child um Although I'm sure it works for some people and I've, I've seen people who are on, online and like various forums, I know people that that has worked worked for. Um, and it's obviously way cheaper if you're doing it that way. Um, but my clinic said that they had various um, sperm banks that they linked with, um, one in the UK and some overseas. And again, I made the choice not to use an overseas one because um, in the UK, your a sperm donor would be limited to create 10 families. Um, and at a certain age, so at, um, at certain ages, um, my son would be able to access certain information about the donor. Um, and so like when they're 18 they kind of get all the information that's that's given including things like the last known address um so if that was given so it, it i mean i don't i don't know that information um i don't know if that if the donor has released that information but there's there's information there that that will be accessible to him and i wanted him to have the option to follow that up if he wanted to um because i think one of the things that I perhaps I didn't at the very beginning I didn't really think about it would be like the consequences of being donor conceived and I think as I went along the process I kind of obviously thought about it more and that informed my decision about where to get a sperm donor but it also has been something I've thought about quite a lot since having him but anyway, going back to your original question, you then basically you go online and there's like a catalogue and you um, get various information like height, age. Um, if you use a, a donor from overseas, they all have more information usually because um, they've got different rules. So you might have um, pictures of the donor as a child. You might have adult pictures. Um, you might get more information on kind of um, uh, like genetic screening and that kind of stuff. Although you get with a UK donor, you get like all the basic like health screening, so HIV, um, you know, genetic things. So you, they they are kind of cleared, and the 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 sperm has to kind of sit in quarantine for six months before it can be like used to check that it's safe. Um, yeah, so you kind of go through your catalogue, and um, the first time I thought about it really loads and loads and loads, and I found my what I thought was my perfect donor. I was like, I'm going to think about it for 24 hours, and contacted the clinic the next day, and they were like, no, it's sold out. So oh. spam like goes like, <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like trying to buy a house, you know, when you put in an offer and they're like, no, it's yeah. gone. And you're like, what? Um, so anyway, so next time I was like a bit quicker off the mark and um, wasn't like my ideal donor, but I kind of, I, I, I got in there and, but it still kind of went through, I made a spreadsheet um, and like <laughs> listed my criteria and how, whether, was I going to give it one point or two points or three points, depending on how it. important it was to me. Um, and then the third time when I got the the the, the donor that I used to conceive George with, um, I it took me about forty minutes. I just went through and my ding 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 ding, and it was like, yeah, we'll continue we'll do that. I was just by that point, I was just like, I might be doing this another six times, you know, or not. I'm not. I wasn't going to do it that many times, but I was like, you know, I just need to. I just need. It was just a procedure by that point, and I needed to do it. Um, 
yeah so that's kind of how you do it it's, I, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's like an online catalogue essentially it's oh. taken away my vision of like this big James Bond style room <laughs> which has got thousands of <laughs> folders and you go in and you say I would like a donor with dark hair and dark eyes and someone comes along and selects the folder and says here you go yeah. madam and there's all these poly pockets you can <laughs> well one of the things about um having what's called id release donor so when your your child can kind of find information about it about them um is that it has meant that there's been a decrease in people willing to donate because they perhaps don't want the potential knock on the door in 18 years time um which me- has me- meant that it can be more challenging finding a donor that suits your kind of basic needs so you know you might have to make um yeah not you you know your idea of having like you know dark hair blue eyes six foot you know like has to kind of go out the window or it did for me anyway um but you know I wanted I wanted um a donor that kind of like reflected some of my characteristics because I didn't want my child to look completely different from me which was just a personal choice but for some people that's not important you mentioned about the limitations on sperm donation in the UK and the donors can only father a maximum parent a maximum of 10 families is that yeah. different abroad then yeah I don't know what it is for different countries but like I know for example in Spain you can't you don't get any donor information um you know there's no the, the child can't it's all anonymous um I don't know what the limits are on on parenting I think in the states I'm not sure there is but you know I, I just think I don't know in terms of like, you know, you have to think about the possibility that your child is going to grow up and might accidentally meet, not accidentally, but, you know, might meet somebody mm-hmm. and they might end up being related. Yeah. Um, and not that I don't want him to meet possible siblings, but there's obviously um, implications in terms of kind of talking to your child about um, relationships and, you yeah. know, and that kind of thing um, later down the line, which... I haven't really thought about that much, but I'm aware it's on my, you know, he too. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not thinking about that bit. There's lots of other things that I'm trying to figure out. Like, when do I think about potty training? Um, so, <laughs> so, but they deal are. With the, they deal are with the important stuff first. <laughs> yeah. But they are things, you know, that I think is important to consider. And mm-hmm. I thought 10 families is going to be easier to navigate than potentially hundreds, you know. Yeah, so. absolutely. You just don't think about that element. I mean, it, it, we'll talk about that in a minute because one of our questions later is about, you know, um, donor conceived children and their experiences. And we talked about that in, in the pre-chat as well. Yeah. But I just wanted to pull back a little bit. And you mentioned about um, kind of the difficulty and the heartbreak during the IVF process. How how did you deal with that? Uh, not very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I wasn't, don't say I was secretive about what I was doing, but I thought by not talking to lots of people about going through IVF, I was kind of protecting myself a little bit. So some people knew what I was doing, but generally um, quite a few people didn't. So like lots of my colleagues didn't know what was going on. Um, And I think at one point I decided that, no, my my boss did know because I'd have to have time off. but I probably needed to have spoken to more people. So I had like a more of a people just checking in on me a bit more Um, because I think I kind of kept it all in a bit. And then um, 
I was at work and something was, it was a bit of a stressful day, but nothing out of the ordinary. And a colleague just popped their head in my room and said, are you all right? And I burst out crying and I cried for about 45 minutes, kind of uncontrollably, hormonally, like cleared a room because everyone was like, oh my God, what's wrong? Um, and, and yeah, and then I, at that point, I obviously went home <laughs> um, and went to the doctors and said, this is what's happening. And I feel like uh, it's kind of all out of my control. And I, you know, it's, as somebody who, like you said at the beginning, was quite independent, quite like, if I know what I want, I will try and get it, you know, in, in that, that makes me sound pretty like ruthless, but I don't mean like that. But, you know, you know, if I wanted to go and work overseas, I'd apply for a job. And if I get the job, that'd be great. And if not, I'd get a job somewhere else kind of thing. And so to have this whole um, part of my life that was completely out of my control and like the most important part of my life as well, um, as it felt, as it, and it now it does, obviously, like that was really that was really, really hard. Um, and I think, um, I don't, yeah, I mean, I think at that point I had to tell people what was, what was going on. And, and that felt better having more like close connect, you know, more connections with people who kind of saw that kind of like, were aware of that, that that was going on at the same time as I was trying to also live my normal life. And I could just talk to him about it and I think you know I guess like with everything isn't it that you know you need to talk about things keeping things bottled up probably isn't the most sensible approach um yeah but I mean I've got you know lovely family support um as I say I went to see my sister for a few days and she just basically looked after me and um you know and was lovely and yeah and and you know my parents were also very supportive um and and yeah so I think you just kind of have to get get through it um I know quite a few people who've gone through fertility as a couple um so kind of other women generally so I think that was useful um to kind of talk to to those friends and those family members who kind of understood what that kind of really distraught feeling feels like because it, you know it just kind of you kind of it's the, it's the thought that this might never happen isn't it I think that's what's what's difficult is it's not that I'm not pregnant it's that oh god what if this never happens and this thing that I really want and my whole life might not be what I want it to be mm-hmm. um yeah so I just yeah I think talking to other people and sharing that and yeah I don't I don't really know what the answer to it is really I think you just kind of I think I just kind of worked my way through it um yeah I mean I've been taking antidepressants for quite a long time so that was just that just continued (laughs) so um yeah but yeah I think I don't yeah I don't I don't think I've got like a nice neat answer of I did this and that and that helped it it was just you know muddling through it as best I could really do you feel um obviously you've said George is uh, just over two now so in that time and during your time um of the fertility treatment do you feel that there's a stigma attached to solo mumming um especially when it comes to age and methods of conception um I don't know I don't think I 
really came across much in the way of like prejudice or people looking at me going oh well, she's too old to be having children I think I maybe felt a bit of that but more in like a a bit of a feeling of regret that I maybe I should have started this earlier um, because I think it was on my radar for a good few years before I kind of started really thinking about it seriously um, I don't know I don't I don't think I have experienced that but that's not to say other people have haven't you know um mm -hmm. as I say I'm on various forums and you know I think it depends a lot on how your family re respond to it and your cultural background and um your kind of maybe your like your political beliefs and stuff like that so I you know I my family has always been incredibly supportive um I think you know my mum after a while she said to me I think I've got my head around it now you know I think I understand <laughs> it, it, it took me a little while to start with but I you know I, I I think I'm I think I'm all right with it now not all right with it I think she was always all right but I think she didn't quite understand yeah why I was doing it this way um but never said that at the time it was only one afterwards she was like you know I'm I'm I've got my head around it now you know and I can see that that's the right thing for you to do um but I yeah, I just yeah, I mean I personally no, I don't think I came across kind of prejudice or stigma or or anything like that. I mean, I think you see it in the press. Um I think you see, you know, quite a lot of negativity about older mothers and burdens on the NHS and stuff like that. But then, you know, if you read the Daily Mail, then that's what you're going to come across. Um <laughs> so um but yeah, I I'd say as I said earlier, I'd say my family's fairly liberal. I live in an area that's quite liberal. Um and um you know, and I've I'm really lucky that I've got really lovely friends who I think would probably support me, you know, matter, no matter what crazy decision I made. So, yeah, <laughs> I think I think I'm quite lucky in that respect. I've got an interesting question that I think it's interesting. Um so I know someone else who is a solo mum by choice and she was one of the first she she was a solo mum by choice before you were if that makes sense yeah um and when I first heard I I was like oh yes you know that's amazing yeah and then obviously you know you came as a solo mum by choice and I kind of thought why are we not hearing more about this why and as you've just said you know in in the area you live in there's a few of them so why 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 is this not more prevalent why are we not seeing more of this yeah I know what you mean like it's it you know like people are always surprised or often surprised and then what they're more surprised about is that I know quite a lot of solo mums by choice um and they're like oh there's like a whole community out there and I'm like yeah we we exist you know yes. like hello um <laughs> I I think any but then that's the same with any like kind of marginalized group that it doesn't fit with what we that we as a society kind of expect and therefore it's it's not written about in soap operas or you know in newspapers or you know it's it's not kind of seen and I think um one of the things about being a solo mum by choice is that you don't have time to do anything once you have a child right so you don't have time to kind of like blow your own trumpet you know my my little boy is at nursery at the moment and I've like dashed home from work and I'm fitting this in because I think it's important and I want to do it but like 
there's like a million and one other things that I could be doing at the moment. And therefore, <laughs> which I'm sure is the same for every parent. Like, you know, it's, um, but, you know, I don't have time to go around saying, everyone, you, you need to know about this thing because it's just like, it's a bit of like survival, isn't it? You kind of, mm. you, you're, and I think, I think women find that in general, don't they? You know, once you have a child, your priorities change and, um, you know, the things that you felt really strongly about before you're not, I'm not saying that you don't feel strongly about them but your time is divided isn't it you know mm. your your time is taken up doing other things and um men take over <laughs> you know, like men men rule the world you know men men run mm. the the businesses and the corporations and the media and I don't think they're particularly interested in um you know single solo mums by choice <laughs> so and and that's what's frustrating because it's such an empowering and I know you hate the word brave and yeah it's almost insulting to say that because it's it's yeah I I totally get what you were coming from that but it's an empowering thing that women have this choice and are making that choice Mm -hmm. and they are helping run the world they are helping run the country and yet we we don't see you enough no um but I think that's the same with women in general. Like, I just think, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a solo mum boy choice thing. I think that's a women thing. Mm-hmm. And I also, th- I mean, as you know, I'm a feminist. Um, but I think it's, it's scary, isn't it? You know, women can do this on their own and they don't need, I mean, we need a sperm donor, obviously. They're an important part of the the process. We need, <laughs> we need that. Um, and I'm eternally grateful for but the donor that I that I used and for I think the the men that go out and you know donate I think that's an amazing thing to do Mm. um and I am in you know extremely grateful and I'm aware that this process couldn't happen without them um but I think it's you know it it breaks the um the expectations that a woman a woman is reliant Mm. on a man you know and and I think for some men that is something to be intimidated by yeah no, I completely agree with that. And I think what's interesting is we haven't got any questions for you about afterwards in terms of the stigma and how things have um, been accessible or well suited to your situation because you're a mum looking after a child. That's just normal. Mm. In our society, that's just a given. Yeah. So it's interesting how we've asked you about, you know, the, the stereotypes and the stigma attached to, you know, being a solo mum but not if society is geared towards you being a mother does that make sense no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words as a mum you've mm. got access to uh changing facilities you know it, as a as a mother everything is geared towards yeah. you because you're a woman oh yeah whereas yeah yeah that's kind of where I'm going but yeah just not very articulately yeah I mean I think being a solo dad by choice and yeah they are there as well um like it must be like incredibly difficult um in terms of people questioning like why do you want to do that and that kind of thing um yeah so I I think I think people are accepting of it because they think it's you know a natural thing for a woman to want a child I Mm -hmm. don't think people always think it's a natural thing for a man to want a child and to do it alone I think must you I think those those guys out there doing that would face and, and probably gay men as well um, are facing a lot more kind of like questioning um, about why why are you doing this 
Um, so yeah, I think I think mm. you know, lots of different versions of parenting come with their own like challenges and um, kind of questions and expectations. So yeah, it's crazy, it's crazy though, isn't it? Because I've I've just re- recently realised, obviously, Freddie is um, four months now, and loads of the baby changing facilities are still just in the female Women. stuff and yeah. Neil's always like oh, you know I'll, I'll change a nappy or whatever and then he's like well I can't I can't because you know I can't go in the ladies and you just think we're in 2022 mm. why well, you know National Trust are very good at that though they're very yeah. Yeah. very sort of uh making sure they they have either unisex facilities yeah. or in both yeah. yeah and generally they're even in de- uh, sometimes in disabled or they've yeah. got kind of a um a known changing yeah. room that's accessible to everyone but that yeah as I so inarticulately put put before it's kind of that's exactly the point everything is good for you as a mother to just yeah. go ahead and, and mother away because in society that's kind of not yeah. your role that's not where I'm going to but you see what I mean it's that's like what the expectation is yeah yeah and so and also I think one of the advantages is that like I, I'm aware of that and I've got friends who kind of moaned about that but I don't have to worry about the fact that I have to change every single nappy mm. because my you know because I know I went into you know I had a child on my own I knew I was gonna have to change every single nappy whereas mm. if you've got a partner I think you'd find stuff like that incredibly frustrating that mm. like great I've got to do the nappy change because my husband can't or my partner can't because it's in the women's chain it's mm. in the women's toilets and like that's not a, a stress that, that kind of even like comes anywhere near my radar yeah. as we said earlier so yeah so there are definitely advantages that you mm. know you go into this knowing I'm, I'm just going to do it and I just do it you know mm. there's no discussion there's no debate I don't have to talk about are we going to bring him up in this way or that way? Or how do we deal with this behavior? Or how do we deal with that behavior? I don't have to do any of that. I just think and do, <laughs> you know, mm. like, and, yeah. and in a way, I think that's one of the easier things. Like, I mean, ultimately, sometimes I'm going, I've not got a clue what I'm doing. And it would be nice to have someone to share this with. But generally, I'm like, I'll try that. Oh, it didn't work. I'll try something else. <laughs> as as parent of a donor conceived child, are there many resources um to help support you and also explain the journey to George? Because obviously, undoubtedly, he's probably getting to that age now when he's going to start asking questions, and it's yeah. a different. It's probably a different scenario from ninety percent of the kids in his school. So, how do you how do you explain it? Um, yeah, well, for a start, um, so I mentioned a Facebook group that I was in and that has given me like links to a lot of resources. So, um, there's a Facebook group called Solo Mums by Choice UK, I think it is. Um, it's just for UK mums because it's obviously different depending on where you are in the world. Um, and that, so I found lots of kind of information on there, kind of anecdotal and people kind of like signposting me to other places. Um, and there is an organisation called the Donor Conception Network um who um have got like a library um you you can kind of like pay to access kind of like courses you know there's some courses that you can go on to without being a member um and there's like you can there's like a course that there's they run called talking and telling um which is for kind of children a little bit older than George but for parents who kind of want to talk about that but yeah and they just generally give good advice and they you know they kind of highlight about how 
it's important to be open with your child from as early an age as possible. Um, it's one of those things where only now really that we're getting a generation of kind of adults who are donor conceived coming through. Um, and there's quite a few um, like uh, Instagram accounts of um, people who are donor conceived. Um, I don't actually have the names of them to hand, but I can perhaps give them to you mm, so you can yeah, attach yeah. them to your um, to your um, blog and um, to your podcast. Um, but yeah, I'd, I you know the Donor Conception Network is really good. I um, yeah, and 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 as I said, I kind of through this Facebook group, um, Solo Mums by Choice. There's like a Cambridge like group um, who we meet up once every three months or so and actually went on holiday with a group of them um so we all went glamping together um and so you kind of have that, those kind of less formal support networks as well um and I know even people who um who kind of live in more remote places or that don't have like this you know kind of big connection that I've got here there's like lots of you know there's like online groups where you know people can can join but yeah the donor conception network is probably like a good place to go if you're thinking about this to give you kind of some information about kind of how you might um address it or how you might go about it um yeah and they've got as i said they've got books like this one that i showed you earlier at the beginning called our story and they've got lots of different versions of this so i've obviously got the solo mum by choice one but they have ones for like um you know two mums two dads um you know all sorts of different things ivf various things and it's just kind of like explains in it's like a picture book for kids basically and explains how you come about being and that you're wanted and there was just a mummy and she wanted a baby and she didn't know about if she could have one on her own and she went to a clinic and yeah so it just kind of explains in quite straightforward terms and I think you know it's also good having something like that for like nieces and nephews and stuff like that who um yeah are kind of a bit confused about the situation <laughs> so <laughs> so kind of have a, a a tool to kind of communicate in like an age-appropriate way um yeah so sounds there like are there across, are resources out there sounds like you've come across some incredible resources and particularly like with the networks and actually having um peer kind of support in the flesh yeah. and online as well um so with those resources and, and everything you've been through what advice would you give to people out there who are considering using a donor um or going it alone um i'd say look at your finances as like a practical thing to start with because it's not cheap um so a look at your kind of financial situation do you can you qualify for nhs treatment that kind of thing um yeah do some reading talk to talk find find other solo mums who've done it um join the solo mum by choice group because that's for triers thinkers um any you know people who have children people who've got multiple children um you know that so there's all you know people at all sorts of different stages on that group you don't have to be an active member you can kind of um what do you call it when you just sit and watch voyeuristic uh, passive no no like when you no. just like you you like you kind of watch this, uh, no no like online uh, like a, not a troll because that's a horrible thing isn't it but like, uh, <laughs> no they have really negative connotations I'm not thinking... anyway but you can just go on you can join these groups and you don't have to take an active role if you're in the very early stages you can just kind of go on and lots of people post um I also um that I just joined kind of like fertility network um like the NHS fertility network um 
chat groups there i would say they come with a bit of a health warning themselves because they're kind of addictive um and can be quite like you can spend way too much time looking at other people's stories about when should i test for a five-day embryo and blah 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 so like a bit of a health warning comes comes with those but yeah i'd say there's there's lots of places to get information if you know where to look so kind of join the facebook groups um go and go and talk to the you know the donor conception network they can put you in touch with people they also have um like they don't call them counsellors, but like people that you can, who would be in a similar situation to you, who you could like phone, um, like mm-hmm. volunteers. So I could be, I'm not, but I could be a volunteer for the Donor Conception Network and people might, they might put me in touch with people who had questions. So mm-hmm. if you are um, thinking about it, that could be something else you could do. Yeah. So yeah, I would say, you know, do research, reach out to people who've done it. Um, talk about, be on, like, be honest with yourself, like about, you know, do you have the support to do it? I was, I mean, I'm really lucky in that I've got lots of emotional support from my family, but I don't live near my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I'm just like, oh, I'm, I've got this situation where I've got to work late, like, uh, like nursery <laughs> shops at six, what do I do? Like, and I, I still got some, like, I've got some things in January where I've got to work late and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm still not sure how I'm going to deal with that. Um, but I will, I will find a, s- a solution. But, you know, some people don't have the family, don't maybe have the, the friendship network and that kind of thing. And, and you know, so, yeah, I'd say, you know, be almost be re- realistic. Get yourself a fertility check because you might be sitting there like I was thinking, yeah, this will be fine. And it might not be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might take several years to have the child that you want. So um, especially if you're getting... Any, anything if you're if you're approaching your mid-30s go and get a health check of uh, uh, fertility mot because like it can decline really quickly and i had no idea you know i think i was 36 when i went and had my fertility check fertility checked and it probably would have been a very different story had i gone when i was 32 um yeah. so yeah be be aware of of, of your biological clock if it's mm-hmm. if this is something you want to do if it's not then it doesn't matter but you know mm-hmm. um yeah just just be aware be get yourself as informed as possible essentially I, I would say I think listening to your story you've been so open and honest and mm-hmm. you're you know it's quite inspiring to listen to because you know going through take away everything else all the parenting alone just that IVF process I know from friends is such a lot to go through and to go through it on your own I think is it's an incredibly strong um, and inspiring thing to do we like to offer all of our guests a final sip and it's really your final thoughts on this on the situation and how you feel really what you would say to others because you have had a journey and it has been amazing and you've got an adorable little boy from it. So to wrap it up, what would you say? I'd say, I think, although I said there was no stigma attached to it, I think um, there is like the perception that you're doing something difficult and you're doing something hard and you're doing something challenging. Um, But I don't, I really don't view it like that. Like life is, can be difficult. But then I don't, I don't quite know how to express this, but like, like there's lots of positives about it as well. Like, like I was saying earlier, I don't have to have those discussions about how do I bring up my child? I don't, you know, yes, going through IVF alone is hard, but equally I didn't have that pressure that I was letting a partner down. And I think, you know, I've got 
you know people who 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 have you know if the fertility if the fertility issue is like male factor or female factor there's a lot of guilt and you know should my would my partner be better off without me kind of feeling um and you know and I didn't have any of that burden with it you know it was just me and dealing with it and you know I'm I'm used to dealing with me you know I don't I didn't I didn't have to worry about other people in that way and I so I think you know yes there are there are challenges but like that I think that I think having children is hard you know and I think whether you do that on your own with a partner you know I don't I look at some partners and I think god you're useless and I'm rather no one but them. you know <laughs> like and I you know there's no oh it was me doing all the thing last night and he was just sitting there doing nothing because I went into it knowing it was just me and there's no I'm never being let down by somebody you know like so there's there's that and I just and I get him all to myself until he grows Aww. up and decides that he wants to you know have friends and go and you know <laughs> have a partner themselves and I'll be like oh no I'm all on my own again but yeah I, you know I I get all the good bits as well as you know all the difficult bits mm, I love that I love Aww. that. And he's your little boy. He will always, always be your little boy. He'll always need you. <laughs> I'm saying that to convince myself because I have a small baby boy and I'm like, oh my God, he'll never not love me. <laughs> yeah. Thank <laughs> you, lady. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your yes. time today, Kate. I know, you, like you say, you've got a million and one things to be doing and you've chosen to take that time to talk to us and to share your story and really no thanks for having me on like I I mean I'll talk about this to anybody as I said and you can probably get from the way I speak I'm fairly frank and and I, like you know Vicky's saying you know you're kind of not seen in society and I do think that should change and um and that's why I'm quite happy to be like yes this is my life <laughs> well at least we really appreciate <laughs> We really appreciate you talking so openly yeah. to us about it. And we also really appreciate all you uh, listeners for listening. Um, thank you so much for joining us again for another episode. If you like what we're doing, please check out our supporters page on our website and buy us a coffee or a tea or some tea, tea. bags or tea. anything, anything, anything we like. It's fine. Um, and we hope you join us again for another episode very, very soon. So take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch up with you soon. Bye. Bye.